0: Welcome to the Do Theology Podcast, where we keep doctrine in its place.
1: I'm Ken from Indiana.
0: And I'm Jeremy from Utah.
1: Today we are playing for you an interview we conducted with Josh Bice. Josh is the director of G3 Ministries and the G3 Conference. We talked to him about what it's like to pastor the church in which he grew up, when it's appropriate to speak on politics from the pulpit, and on what range of issues— should say, what range of non-primary issues it is appropriate for someone to leave the church. And so as we play that for you, I'm sure you'll have some thoughts and some reactions. I encourage you to reach out to us through various social media channels we have. Our Twitter handle is at Do Theology. You can find us on Facebook, and you can email us at show at DoTheology.com.
0: See you on the other side of the music. Calvinism is much false doctrine as a woman preacher Well, of course, in fundamentalism, you define everything as a gospel issue This is a true mark of Christian maturity to discern the difference of issues I got an idea! Let's not wrong with anybody who thinks they got another idea!
1: There's a lot of different understandings of what the days are in Genesis 1, and to what degree evolution was part of how God created things.
2: I have disagreements with him in some areas, but those are adiophora, those are side issues, many important
0: issues. So many Bible doctrines are ruined when we use the wrong words. This is why it's so critical that we use only the King James Bible. You gotta have that right, or get out of here. Pray God that I don't take every minor thing and make a major thing out of it. Nothing divides. Like truth. I respect them as brothers in the Lord with whom I have some strong differences, but they have a big problem with me. Is there a way that we can work together? I think fundamentally we have to say yes. Christians can disagree and still kick it. Today's guest is the senior pastor of Praise Mill Baptist Church in Douglasville, Georgia, and he is the founding director of the G3 Conference, whose mission is to educate, encourage, and equip for the work of the ministry. He, bo- he blogs at DeliveredByGrace.com and hosts the G3 podcast available on all major podcast platforms. Joining us today is Josh Bice. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Good to be with you guys. Josh, the three G's for the G3 Conference stands for Gospel, Grace, and Glory, uh, who came up with that name, and how did you arrive at it
2: Yes, yeah, so I guess I was the one that came up with it, but um, the the overall goal was, as we thought about starting a conference, it was we had done a small conference uh, focused on missions, and it was basically extended over an entire month within our local church, so we did not have the overlap of speakers the the attendance varied from week to week. And we thought it would be really good after we looked at and evaluated the goals of that conference if we could somehow do a weekend conference that would be focused on you know, a theological subject matter and then would also be uh, centered around encouraging the local church, both pastors and members of the church in general. And so when we we're thinking about that whole process— Never did we have anything planned for a massive conference like we have presently and a ministry like G3. So just to be very clear, when I came up with the name G3, it was mainly just to establish the idea that this is not a pep rally for Christians or anything of that nature. It's, it's mainly a theology conference where we unpack a specific theological theme over the course of three days. And so that was the goal, gospel, grace, glory. So it would be really easy to explain to people that this is a robust theology conference.
0: And we're recording this um, when it's not quite summer yet, Um, but in the future, you've got got plans for G3 to change. Uh, It's becoming G3 Ministries, you announced back in January, and uh, it's becoming an every other year thing. There's a cruise that's scheduled. Uh, As of this recording, what's that looking like for the moment? Uh, Cruises aren't exactly where people are wanting to go right now.
2: Yeah, interestingly enough, um, everything is still a go. It's a green light from the cruise industry. We have to obviously evaluate things from the CDC and other avenues as far as the 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 planning of that event. Um, but we're very encouraged because everything seems to be a green light, and we see much progress being made through the the whole process of this pandemic. So, yeah, in fact, we've been having new registrations even this week. So. We're very excited about that. And again, you can find out more information at g3conference.com.
1: Amen. Great. What would you say is the goal for the future regarding G3 ministries?
2: The main goal for this ministry is to really encourage and to help equip the local church to be healthy, to be strong. So rather than griping about the lack of health within the context of evangelicalism, rather than sitting back and throwing rocks or just merely critiquing, I thought it would be really good when we were at a point of transition from just a conference to a ministry, if we could see our ministry really step up to the plate and try to address some of the deficiencies. And when I'm looking at deficiencies, I'm just meaning in general. So, I mean, there are all sorts of theological deficiencies and lack of understanding regarding healthy biblical ecclesiology and all sorts of things So we think that one of the ways that we can do that is to provide as much material to local churches for free. So that in terms of media content, as well as uh, printed material or else downloadable material that can be used in, say, small group settings, in Bible studies, Sunday school classes. So we're just now getting organized and we're preparing to start rolling out some of those studies in the future. So you can find out more information on our website, obviously, and also our, our, um, our app as well. So we have archives and, and we'll keep archives available on the app as well. We would like the idea to be able to just, with the press of a button, be able to download that material and have it as much as possible be provided to the church for free. So I think moving forward, whether we're doing a national conference with 6,000 or more people, or whether we are doing a a small regional event, or a cruise, or a study tour, or whether we're just talking about uh, rolling out interviews and and media, uh, you know, as far as like stuff that we could have on our website that people could access freely and have it accessible through YouTube, Or whether it's Bible studies, we want to be at the heart of this ministry, helping local churches become more healthy for the glory of God.
0: Now, shifting gears to the local church, and um, your your pastor at Praise Mill Baptist, you and your wife both grew up there, which comes with all kinds of fun stories, I'm sure. Uh, And it's a unique thing, too, to pastor the church where you grew up. How long have you been there in total as far as years go from when you attended as a youngster till now? And in what ways have you seen that ministry evolve, whether that's in terms of doctrine and theology or otherwise?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So I think total years that I've been a part of this church is right about 28. Um, I was away for about seven years. I came here when I was about seven. And if I do my math right, that puts me roughly 42 or 43. So that's about right. So I've been pastoring this church now for 10 years. And um, so just a tremendous honor to pastor and to shepherd the souls within the context of the local church where both my wife and I grew up as children. You know, that has come with both blessings and challenges, obviously. So, you know, having to as the scripture teaches to reprove and rebuke people that you love and respect through the preaching and the teaching of the word of god that's hard that's a very difficult task you haven't had to do that to anyone who
0: changed your diaper did you yeah
2: <laughs> yeah i'm afraid i have oh. and then and then of course <laughs> and then of course the whole idea of of burying people preaching funerals and i've preached lots of funerals in the 10 years that i've been here in fact the the first couple of years that I was here, it was, uh, well, the first year I was here, we averaged one a month. And some of those people were just very dear to my soul. And so that's been been both a challenge and a blessing to shepherd people all the way to the very end Mm -hmm. and to be able to try to point people to Christ even at their graveside. And so uh, those are challenges. I pastor my parents, my father, my my stepmom, my mother, which is a glorious and wonderful story that we don't have time to go into. But my parents divorced when I was five. And it was a horrific situation. Um, Lots of human depravity. Both of my parents were unbelievers. And my dad brought us to this church, Praise Mill. Uh, We had some family connection here when I was seven. Um, Both of my parents remarried eventually and um, in due season, over the course of time, um, I became a Christian at 25. I I was a false convert for uh, a good number of years, and after leaving for seminary, when I came back, I preached a sermon when I was here just uh, visiting family at Christmas after my first year of seminary, and I was invited to preach at a small church and in our local community here, and my my mom came, she heard me preach, and the Lord was gracious and converted her. And so immediately there was restoration to broken relationships. And so now, after having been gone for seven years, when I returned as as pastor of Praise Mill, eventually my, my family came here, and including my mom. So now you have uh, a broken family through divorce and sin that's now sitting on the same pew worshiping Christ and so, what a beautiful testimony of
0: of redemption and restoration in the in the gospel. Yeah, and to be used by God in that as the son. Um, that, yeah, that's an amazing thing. Lots of unique stories there at Praise Mill. That's cool. Um, has there been any ways in which the church has evolved doctrinally through the years? Has the church was the church one way when you were growing up there, and is it another way now as you're pastoring? So the church is 178 years old. So you
2: can imagine there have that there's been seasons of you know life for the church. So it's it's ebbed and flowed throughout the course of time. Uh, the oldest documents that the church had on record um, actually burned up in a house of the church clerk when it, they were stored in his attic apparently many years ago. So the oldest records that we have date back to the late 1800s, early 1900s. I have those records even here in my office. I'll, I'll look through them at times. And you can see where the church didn't really have a proper understanding of church discipline at times. But then you can see that there are people who are being disciplined, sometimes self-disciplined, where they're accusing themselves and admitting sin before the congregation. And,
0: and that was documented in paperwork?
2: Well, at church meetings, Uh, so when you have the church coming together for uh, church uh, membership meetings, and then you have primarily for 178 years, you have a single pastor model. Uh, So we had a couple of pastorates, at least, that I can testify to for 10 years each that were basically preaching from a Reformed uh, soteriology, from that, that vein but yet not Reformed in their ecclesiology. And so when I came, I led the church to embrace a Reformed ecclesiology where we have a plurality of elders who are serving and leading, and yet a plurality of deacons who are primarily serving and caring for the practical aspects in the ministries of the church. And so, um, yeah, I would say there have been some seasons of growth in, in those various areas.
1: So you um, and your elders at the church there— um, talking about the leadership. Uh, you adhere to the uh, 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, and your church is in the SBC um, holding to the um, Baptist Faith and Message. That's your church's doctrinal statement. Um, I just want to read an a excerpt from that doctrinal statement. Uh, it says, cooperation is desirable between the various Christian denominations. When the end is to be attained is itself justified, and when such cooperation involves no violation of conscience or compromise of loyalty to Christ and His Word as revealed in the New Testament. How have you seen that statement uh, played out in your ministry?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think in various different ways. So, I mean, our church has cooperated as an SBC, uh, as an SBC cooperating church for a number of years, although our church just as as it pertains to history, we predate the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm. But as we are a part of that convention of churches, we have cooperated in various different ways uh, across state lines and on a national level uh, for missions and for education and for various different other ministry opportunities. But as it pertains to crossing over, say, from our denomination to other denominations, we have worked with other Christian groups and and with other pastors who are not Southern Baptists or who even aren't Baptist at all. And we think that that is possible as we come together on the gospel. Obviously, there are certain positions that are going to keep us from being members of the same church. So when I'm talking about my friends who are Presbyterians, obviously I could say that a Joel Beakey can preach in our G3 conference, for instance. And in fact, in our very first G3, we made it a point to have... Presbyterians who were preaching right alongside Baptists, and and we did that uh, w- with great intentionality. But you're so ecumenical, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we're trying to to work and to serve together and cooperate together. But at the same time, um, we know that on the Lord's Day, when the conference comes to a close, that we're going to be in two different two different con- uh, congregations, and the reason for that is simply because of the fact that. We don't baptize babies, and we're very clear that we don't see that exemplified and taught in Scripture. But I can see the logical logical connection to circumcision, and I see how they get to where they stand theologically, but we're not going to be members of the same church. So, yeah, I think that having a healthy cooperation, even within and outside of your denomination— is very important, but yet not compromising on key tenets of the gospel. So there are specific areas that we're not going to bend on, if that makes
0: sense. So, and I don't want to try to make it sound like we're trying to get you any, to say anything you don't want to say, but you are a um, director of the conference, right? And uh, your hand is right in picking and choosing who speaks and who doesn't. When it comes to maybe matters that are more secondary, are there certain issues that you're looking for that, even though it's secondary, if they don't agree with you, with your position on it or your conference's position on it, rather, that they're just not going to make the cut as far as speakers? I mean, how do you work through that from a, a conference perspective?
2: Yeah, so that's a really, really good question, by the way. Um, I, think, I think that when it comes to making decisions like that, I don't like to think of it just falling on my shoulders as the president of G3 Ministries. Um, I, I always like to, in the spirit of even a plurality of elders, I think a board, which our board does a good job of this, just bouncing ideas, being very critical and in, in providing information to me. I have brothers even within this um, this ministry that I trust um, that, that, that I could ask a question and that they could provide an answer and, and I can take it to the bank but yet at the same time when it when it comes down to making the decision yes i'm going to need to make a decision right and so there are going to be specific areas that if someone is is not balanced on specific issues they might not they they might not stand exactly where we stand on some philosophical issues or some issues pertaining to popular trends that we see within evangelicalism but yet at the same time if they seem to be trending in an unhealthy way then we're going to say well we don't think it would be good and wise for us to have them speak within the context of our church ministry so or even within the context specifically here talking about G3 our G3 conference and so now that the G3 has moved outside of the outside of the the boundaries if you will of our local church so it's governed by a board and so we'll have those conversations And so, just to be specific, let's just say that we're talking about an issue like social justice, for instance. Well, I've been very vocal and and very emphatic about where I stand presently on the subject of social justice. Um, I don't think that someone that disagrees with my position on matters of social justice would, would have to be classified as a heretic. But I do think that it would be unwise for us to have someone who's pressing critical race theory into the context of evangelicalism to be preaching at G3, if that makes sense, because we would say that that's not helpful, that's not profitable. And so I've been very much um, in opposition to Resolution 9 within the Southern Baptist Convention. So having someone that's a champion of Resolution 9 is, is going to be a bit confusing to the attendees. And I think, by the way, to be a good steward of the ministry that I'm trusted, entrusted with uh, we need to make sure that we're vetting the speakers well and looking to make sure that that they're standing firm on
0: on key issues now as a as a pastor uh, and I think it's great that you're not just just in the conference world, but that obviously uh, being a pastor, you are mostly in the local church world and the conferences uh, something that's more into the side instead of the other way around, which Uh, of course, is much healthier. (laughs) Um, But as a pastor, you have an understanding and a passion for the local church's role in a believer's life. And recently, as you've been preaching through Romans, you taught that we should not have a higher allegiance to clubs and organizations than we do to the local church. Now that you are a major conference director, though, as a part of your ministry. Has it been a challenge to maintain an emphasis on the importance of the local church, on local church fellowship and local church leadership in a world where so many professing Christians would rather listen to Christian celebrities or go to the big events just to experience something that's unique?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, For me, it's always been about the local church, and that's why the ministry exists. So for me as a pastor, as this conference exploded and started to grow, obviously there was going to need to be some decisions that were made. And so for me, I was looking for ways in which we could steward the ministry well, do it with excellence for the glory of God, but yet not take away from the local church. And so eventually I had to make a decision to uh, separate separate the conference ministry, G3 itself, into a 501c3 ministry, so G3 Ministries, and then separated from the local church. And then one of the things that had to be determined was, what would be my role? And so I made a, a clear announcement to our church that in the in the process of this transition, that they were not to look for me to in any way resign from the church in order to go and be the president of G3 Ministries that we're going to have someone that can be hired for that process, that can be the director of operations and ministry development, and yet I can retain some form of the president's role in directing and sitting on the board and helping make decisions, but yet I'm not going to be consumed with the day-to-day operations of the ministry in and of itself. I'm going to give myself and my time and my effort and my my abilities to shepherding within the context of the local church. Now, what I will say is that every time that we come to the G3 National Conference, we're going to make an emphasis that as the conference comes to a close on Saturday, we want everyone who can to be back in the context of their local church on the Lord's Day. And if they're carrying over from the conference and they can't make it back on the lord's day then they can join us or some other like-minded church in the area and worship and to be to to be very much engaged but the idea is that we come together to strengthen and encourage but then to go back into the trenches to get back into the difficult circumstances to to bring about resolve in the broken relationships to to go Forward in the difficult uh, aspect of preaching and teaching, and studying the Word, and preparing to shepherd souls, and marrying people, and going through marriage counseling, and and going through the process of counseling people as they're preparing to die, and then preaching their funerals, and all of this is what I believe God has called us to as Christians. But specifically me, I think one of the 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 main goals has been to make G three and center G3 as a focus on helping the local church. And so, yeah, I'm going to be very much engaged in our local church, but yet connecting G3 to that passion so that we can do great things for God's glory.
0: It does seem like there is um, a bit of a culture at Christian conferences, and I, I don't think there's anything that conference directors or planners or organizers could do to prevent against it. But, I mean, there is a twinge of that unhealthy aspect like almost like roadies for a a band like Def Leppard roadies at a a Christian conference or something I mean who just every year we got to go to this conference because it's so wonderful and magical and unique which is fine in and of itself like recognizing the the benefit and the encouragement that comes from those but it it can sometimes make the local church look so boring and mundane (laughs) in comparison uh where it's almost like uh you know, going back to the local church is a letdown. And the Christian life is supposed to be the conference experience, not the local church experience. It, it seems like it gets easily flip flopped. And I imagine trying to uh, keep people focused on the right things while you have this big growing conference, um, it would be a challenge. Yeah, it can be a
2: challenge. Uh, I think if your heart is in the right place, though, you will see that it's kind of like going on vacation. You go on vacation, you stay in a nice hotel, you, you visit a new city, you, you eat at new restaurants. There's all sorts of, of things you do right. when you're out of town. But then you, you always know that you're not at home and you, you go back home when this is all over. And, and that's the idea of a conference is that a Christian conference should help us to, re, to, to be reminded that what we feel when we're at a conference is somewhat unique. Everyone's on their best behavior. Um, everyone's being very polite to one another. Even, a, 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 you know, it, as it pertains to differences of you know theological perspectives, and so we're trying to treat one another with respect and honor and and yet we walk around and overlap for you know three days and then we go back home, and we go back home and we think, well, why can't why can't the church be like the conference? You know, I don't feel the same way. Well, it's because the, the same way you feel when you go on vacation. You're not at the beach anymore. You know, things are just yeah. different, and you have to come back to planet reality. There's real difficult relationships, and you don't just pack up your belongings and pack up your bags and move to the church down the road when things get a bit difficult. You dig in. You you lean into ministry, and you... You have to do this, and you have to teach your children to do this, or else they're going to have a low view of the, the church and a low view of church membership as well as they grow older.
1: One of the things that I really appreciate about uh, the G3 Ministries, having viewed some of the you know the lectures and the sessions online, um, and then also different facets of your ministry, including uh, your website, deliveredbygrace.com, um, is that there is that emphasis on the local church and the desire to serve uh, the people within the local church. And one of the articles on your website is titled, When Should I Leave My Church? It's one of the more widely read articles on your website. Why do you think that article has been so popular, and what kind of responses have you received from it?
2: Yeah, so that, that that's, that's a really good question. I think one of the reasons maybe it's so popular is because there's a lot of people that are getting on Google and typing in things like, when should I leave my church? Because they're unhappy, and and that's unfortunate. Um, I think what the scripture teaches us is, or at least my goal in writing an article like that, as well as other articles that I've written on subjects that are very similar to it, would be that, as I said just a moment ago, we need to lean into ministry. We need to dig into the difficult circumstances of life, and remember that a local church is not. Going to have the same feel as a as a conference is. It's going to be it's going to be different. You're going to have uh, hard personalities. You're going to have sin actually among that church, and you're going to have to be able to manage and reprove and rebuke and work through those difficult circumstances. But when we see a text of scripture that says something like, you know, Paul communicates to the church in the city of. Ephesus when he says, we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, Think about that for a moment. I mean, the maintenance aspect of, say, an automobile. If you don't maintain the automobile, well, then what's going to happen? You're going to find yourself on the side of the highway. So, you have to maintain things. You have to maintain your home. You have to maintain your HVAC system. You have to maintain your computer system. Everything in life requires maintenance. Your marriage requires maintenance. So when it comes to the local church, the church relationships and the ministry of that church, it demands eager maintenance, and you have to do the hard work. You have to make sure that you're pursuing unity. And so the goal that I would have in an article like that would be to say, when things get bad, don't just start dreaming about going to the church down the road that has the nicer bus or the bigger gymnasium for your children to to play in or, or something of that nature. Start thinking about what it means to work through those problems. I mean, when you survey the New Testament and you see all of the one another passages, you know, just, just thinking about all of these You know these these passages that talk about being with one another and worshiping with one another and accepting one another and forgiving one another and not grumbling with one another and and you know having patience with one another and and yet also right after Peter baptizes the three thousand in Acts chapter number two and verse number forty two the very next thing you see is that the church is gathered under the teaching ministry of the apostles but the very next descriptive word is that they are together in fellowship, koinonia. This is the idea of genuine intimacy that should transcend the, the sort of friendship that you have with someone at your local workplace or that you have with the local ball team families that sit there in the stands and watch their children play football or baseball or soccer. So you should have this intimacy with your church that demands that we work through problems, that we actually seek to forgive one another as God through Christ has forgiven us. So yeah, I'm very passionate about not leaving a church for the wrong reasons. And so I wanted to write that in other articles for that very purpose.
1: Yeah, that's great. That, that emphasis on striving for that unity within the body. Now, sadly, there are there are times when there's something that would come up that would make it clear that yeah, that is time to move on from that church. In that article, you outlined some issues of primary doctrine, of key doctrinal distinctives. That okay, yeah, if these things are, if this church is departing from these things, it's definitely time to move on. But do you think uh, are there any secondary issues where you would say you know over this secondary issue, I think it probably would be wise to to leave a church over that as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. So um, when I've had people talk to me about leaving a church or say that they've left our church, and we've had this happen on on numerous occasions where people have had to move out of state for job transfers or whatever else, and they said, Pastor, could you help us maybe find a church or maybe could you help us locate a church that is like-minded? And and I'm happy to do that. But I think one of the things that I would I would encourage in that scenario would be, don't buy a house before you find a church, because oftentimes we've had people join our church that are driving 45 minutes because they moved into the city and they bought a house and they started looking for a church and then they eventually widened their search and ended up 45 minutes away. So find a church before you buy a house. That would be one good exhortation. But when it comes to maybe reasons to leave your church without a job transfer where you're moving out of state, I would say there are some some reasons that you might consider it. Um, let's just be honest. If you become a Christian and you're a part of an unhealthy church, and as you start to grow in your faith, you start to notice glaring problems, like a church that does not have a plurality of elders but has a single pastor model, and, and that one individual is responsible for all of the leadership of that church and yet he's making some some unwise decisions. Uh, that might be an indicator of, 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 of a reason to be leery or say a church that's unwilling to practice biblical church discipline. You look and you say, well if a, if a church is unwilling to discipline members then that means that pretty much anyone could actually be a member of this church and so we have to be cautious, when it comes to that sort of idea, and so people that are that are in a church like that where they're seeing glaring problems or deficiencies of health that could harm their family, I think that that's a, a reason to maybe start thinking about moving to another church let's say they're they're in an, a, a very very uh, superficial church as far as theology is concerned they have no true understanding of of a good idea of biblical soteriology from a say a reformed position. And yet they're they're being nurtured in an Arminian context, and they become reformed as they study the scriptures. They start seeing that God is sovereign over salvation, and yet their pastor is teaching something completely opposite from the pulpit. Over time, as you're discipling children in the context of that church, it might be necessary for you to think about going to a church where the scriptures are going to be taught, or say the church is not uh, being uh, nurtured and discipled through a faithful preaching model. Say it's just a a sloppy, topical preaching model, and there's no real emphasis on biblical exposition. That might be a, a reason for you to consider leaving your church. But again, I would not encourage someone listening to this very podcast to say, well, Pastor Josh said that because my my pastor's not hitting all five marks on the five points of Calvinism or because he's not you know, a robust expositor like, say, a Stephen Lawson or someone like that, that I should go and find another church. I would be very cautious, very cautious. In fact, I would actually meet with my pastor or pastors and go through the process of, of talking this out and praying through this. And then if you come to a place over months of, of prayer, where you believe that you actually do need to leave the church, you should do so asking for their blessings on this so that you're not trying to stir up division within the context of your church. That's a lost art,
0: talking to leadership before leaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Uh, boy, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, but, but thinking about it from the leadership's perspective... Um, so, you know, in in the article, you're addressing the perspective of the one considering leaving the church. Now, thinking about it from a leadership perspective, from the first moments of getting to know that person, knowing there are some disagreements, um, well, I mean, your church is more reformed soteriologically, so perhaps an Arminian rolls in, maybe an Arminian who thinks single elder model is right. And that person says, I know we have these differences, but I can put those aside and I'd like to join your church. What do you talk through as church leadership in an instance like that? what What's the scope of non-primary issues that they should be expected to agree on before they're eligible for membership?
2: Yeah, that's a really good one. So the main thing that they're going to have to be able to say is that we're, we're going to fall in line with and not... And, and we're not going to try to teach or to lead our friendships and with the influence that we're given as we grow within the church, we're not going to try to lead people astray from the doctrinal statement of the church. So the key positions that we hold to, right, there's going to be some freedom, obviously, within that. But at the same time, um, we, we can't expect every single person that becomes a new believer or anyone that comes into the life of the church to just automatically be where we are as pastors on every single issue theologically there's going to be that there's going to need to be some room for advancement and for growth and for sanctification so we we try to have patience there but as you mentioned it say we're having a like the way that we're structured we have a four week class that they have to go through to be a member here and then they have to go through an eldership interview where they share the gospel and where they give testimony of their own conversion. And then yet at the same time, after they go through that that process of meeting with and having an an interview with our elders, let's say something comes up on matters of, say, eschatology, for instance, and they know that they are not where I'm at presently on matters of eschatology, where we would say we need to have some, some freedom here. They should not be said that they're barred from membership here simply because of the fact that they don't hold to every single position that I hold to on matters of eschatology. But let's say that they are firm on their issue of a single pastor model. Well, we would look at them and say, we don't think it would be wise for you to come in to this church when you are going to be saying to everyone in the life of this church as you become— deeper entrenched in friendships here that you think that your own church is unbiblical in the way that we approach leadership. And so we just think it would probably be better for you to find a church that matches where you stand on that specific issue. Although we would say to a person that is more accustomed to a single pastor model, they can be a member here so long as they are willing to learn and to search the scriptures and approach this from a from a careful and and a mature aspect without division and a spirit of divisiveness. So that wouldn't necessarily bar them from membership here, but it would be a, it would be a, a reason to have a healthy conversation before they're voted in as a member here. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like the the big thrust in the midst of of all of, of the even of the article you wrote and and many of the things that you've just said just now, is that emphasis on striving to maintain unity within the body and seeking to pursue that, and but not at all costs, because there are some areas where that's going to create problems if you try to keep people together that are having such widely uh, disagreeing positions. Um, But that's where that, that unity is really, really critical to the body of Christ. Yeah, correct. Absolutely. I think...
2: I think pastors grow, and I think that churches actually need to know that too, is that, you know, I've been here 10 years, and and I've certainly grown theologically. What? You mean I'm not perfect? Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I was in my early 30s when they called me to pastor this church, and so I would think that if you call someone in their early 30s, you would have to think that, let's say that man's going to be there until he's mid-60s or 70s, Lord willing, that there's going to be some growth in that man's life. I would hope so. And I think that my church here, our church has has been patient with me as I've grown and as I've developed as a pastor. I think the same thing is true for a church. We need to be willing to look at a church and say, there's going to be growth that's going to happen over time, and we shouldn't expect perfect, buttoned up, really nice, church members to just come walking through the door. That's actually called discipleship. We should actually see that as the process by which we're teaching and striving for within the church.
0: Well, speaking of unity in the church, politics. Um, (laughs) In a sermon that you preached uh, shortly after Trump's inauguration, you called out his arrogance and pride and rightly so, and you contrasted it with the humility that the Christian is supposed to emulate. And you said in that sermon that you didn't expect any amens uh, <laughs> from the congregation, and you said it was more like broccoli uh, you know, on their plate that morning that, that needed to be eaten. Um, what kind of feedback did you get from that preaching in a conservative church in the conservative South, and how can pastors navigate those choppy waters of speaking to political issues uh, from the pulpit?
2: Yeah, I think the main thing that we need to remember as pastors is that our responsibility, primarily speaking, is to preach the Bible every single week. And so, one of the tragedies, I think, even as I look back at, I could say, just from a personal standpoint, I can say there has been some really good, you know, uh, benefits that have emerged from, say, the uh, civil rights movement and the desire to have you know, an emphasis on injustice and things of that nature in the past. But I think that there has been an awful lot of uh, corruption of the pulpit that took place over time as well, where you've turned local churches into a political stump, where people give political speeches and rallies rather than expounding the Word of God. And so I think that our methodology needs to just be week by week proclaiming and expounding the Word of God and not being afraid to actually say what the Bible says and to address those issues, I think from another perspective, we need to maintain this this understanding that the idea of separation of church and state was never intended to muzzle the church. it was never intended to muzzle the pulpit, so the idea is that the pulpit should be free to address the injustices and the corruption and the arrogance and the faults of of politics and of politicians from a national level to a local level. Uh, but yet at the same time, there needs to be this understanding that it's not our primary job every week to get up and and call out politicians. Um, but I do think that we should do that when necessary. So I was very clear to do it when I felt that, you know, President Obama was being elected into office. I was in many ways excited that we were going to see Although I, I disagreed with his policies, I did not vote for him. I was very pleased to see this nation elect someone who was not a white man. That was, that was good. But then I was also very clear to say that if you voted for him simply because of the color of his skin, that's, that's not wise. That's not good. And yet I was also willing to call out his horrible positions on matters related to abortion. Um, when it comes to Trump, I was very much clear about the fact that I I, I, was, I was not pleased with the president's personal life and his decisions that were unwise on, on many different levels. I mean, let's just face it. He was on the front of Playboy magazine at one point. And so I've, I felt that, that that was not good from a moral standpoint. Um, I disagree with lots of things that President Trump has done since his time in office. But at the same time, I've also been willing to say, when when possible, that President Trump has actually made really good decisions that have benefited the church. So I've tried to just be faithful to the text of Scripture, and I think we should chain ourselves to the text of Scripture and let the Word of God be prophetic and call out the, the evil and the corruption, but yet also highlight the good things that our leaders have done. And yet at the same time, for those who might be in the church that disagree with um, with me on matters of politics or whatnot, we also have to remember that we're called to pray for our leaders. So not just criticize them, but to actually pray for them that God would grant them wisdom and, and, and grant them with the ability to make proper decisions for the glory of God. And so as we think through all of this, I think the main thing is that the pastor needs to preach the word and stand firm on what the word of God says and not back
0: up from those positions. So did that, did that Sunday morning prove fateful? Did you have any families leave?
2: No, no, actually we have not. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've had, uh, I think the people of this church have trusted me through the years to just preach the word and, There are times when a pastor has to say hard things, and I'm grateful for a church that has been willing to support me, and even in an imperfect manner at times. You know, I've I've gone home after sermons like that and looked at my wife and said, was it really as bad as I think it was? Like, I said something that it wasn't—because, you know, I, I try to memorize my outline. I'm not just glued to an outline the whole time. And sometimes, just off the cuff, something will come to mind, and I will use it as an illustration or say something that wasn 't planned, and yet sometimes i 'm trying to wrestle through. was that the spirit of God helping me, or was that Josh just being really dumb you know so
0: yeah it 's hard to hard to know uh, isn 't it uh, <laughs> i I know the feeling
2: too well so we evaluate those decisions like that, we evaluate that by Monday morning you know, opening up the word and saying, was was that faithful? Was that a statement that was faithful to the text or was it not? And gratefully so, you know, with the Council of Elders, if I do say something really stupid, I'm going to have elders on Tuesday morning in our elders meeting that are going to say, that probably wasn't good, you know.
1: What a blessing that that is too, you know, to be able to have that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We have to, I think as pastors, have men... I think Vody Bauckham said it well years ago as we were talking about this. You know, you want men who can sit around the table and put their boots under your table and look at you in the face and talk to you as a man. And you don't want to be an island. You don't want to be the only guy in the room. Uh, That's certainly not helpful from a pastoral perspective.
1: Well, we really do appreciate you. I've got one more last question for you, and I'm very grateful for your time. Um, but what what parting words of encouragement would you have for uh, leaders in the church, lay people alike, and? Uh, within a local church they 're trying to live out their convictions uh they're trying to strive for unity within the body of Christ, developing convictions on theological matters and and conscious issues, uh but at the same time avoiding the foolish controversies and the things that god's word speaks about as well. What words of encouragement do you have for god 's people?
2: Yeah, I would say be patient with one another uh remember that when people come into the life of the church, if you're a pastor, remember that they're not going to be you know where you are or on specific issues overnight. Um, If you're coming to pastor a church and you're new to the congregation, you can't expect that church to be where you are theologically overnight. So uh, one man said it this way, and it resonated with me really well. If you're a new pastor in a new church uh, and you expect that church to grow quickly, just remember to be patient, plant a fruit tree, a small Fruit tree in your backyard, and when you're able to eat off of that fruit tree with mature fruit, then you should look at your church and say, "By now, we should have already seen good, healthy growth." Um, As it pertains to the members of the church, I would say, don't get on social media and call your, your your fellow church members out. Don't get on social media and do those sub tweets, vague book, little you know, sort of updates where everyone in the church knows who you're talking to but you didn't really name that person that's really the way a coward operates and so if you have a problem with someone in your church go to that individual in love sit down over a good a good cup of coffee and have a spirited discussion for the glory of Christ, be patient with one another, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, and don't pack up your belongings and just go down to the next church down the road, three and a half miles down the road, over petty little issues, because your children are watching and they're going to learn how you make decisions and they're forming their understanding of the local church based on how you behave presently. And One day, you're going to have to answer the question, why are we going to the white church? And yet, We used to be members of that that church with brown brick down the road. Why why do we go here now rather than that church? And you're going to have to answer them. And if you've made unwise decisions, you're going to have to look at them and confess that, or you're going to have to lie to them and just make up some excuse. But if you're truthful, you'll have to say, well, I was really immature at the time, and we moved churches because of a a dumb reason. And I've learned now that that was not good but we're going to stay here now and we're going to work hard and we're going to be faithful. So yeah, that would be my parting exhortation.
0: Amen. Thank you. Well, thank you, Josh, for your time. And we trust this will be beneficial uh, to those thinking through these issues. Really appreciate it. God bless gentlemen. Thanks for having me and uh, always a privilege.